0: family. Good morning. I'm going to start with a story to emphasize what Scott just read. Uh, in, 19, in 1835, the great British preacher Charles Simeon, 76 years old at the time, stood from his pulpit at the Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge and cited from this passage, from Colossians 1:18 that in all things he might have preeminence, I can't do the English accent. Not even going to try. But then he added, and he must have it, and he will have it, and he shall have it. Now, here's where the story continues. 33 years later, a bishop named Hanley Mool wrote that these impassioned words preached by Charles Simeon on that day were repeated to him from memory 33 years later by a man who had been there that day. The man who had been there described to Mool that Simeon actually, here's what he said, rose in height as his soul straightened his body to bear witness to the Redeemer's glory. Mule was astounded that the man could remember the scene and the, and the words spoken so clearly 33 years later. Here's why I tell you that story. In approaching a text like 1 Corinthians 1 15 through 23, I wish that I could preach like Charles Simeon. It's almost as if that's, this text warrants that kind of a preaching, one that you would remember 33 years from now. The likelihood is you will not remember today's sermon 33 years from now. Hopefully, 33 days from now. Really, hopefully, 33 hours from now. But. Maybe you will remember this for the rest of your life because Jesus is that awesome. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today's sermon centers on Christ and that should not be surprising in itself. Every sermon should center on Christ. Bible centers on Christ. So you can hold me accountable to that. But this passage in particular gives one of the greatest declarations in all of scripture who Jesus Christ is. And the level of And extent of it will put you in awe today if you are paying attention at all. So let's go there in the Word of God and the Spirit of God now and open your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Chris has Bibles in English and Spanish. Raise your hand if you need one. And I'm just going to tell you, we were going to start passing out bulletins today too right now. Uh, We ran out of bulletins. So maybe that means everybody already has one. Uh, We're going to print some more next week. Uh, In the bulletins are sermon notes. If those help you follow along, I encourage you to take those out. And they're provided for you, a place to write, write things down. And you'll see the sermon title today, if you haven't already, is this. Awed by the Christ we worship and follow. Awed by the Christ we worship and follow. This is our third week in Colossians. Just real quick, if you haven't been here, in the last two weeks... We have connected with the Colossian people, whom the great Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this young church that's very vulnerable to false teachings. Those will come up soon in the next few weeks. And like them, the Colossians, we have celebrated the work of Jesus' gospel in our lives, and we have looked forward and prayed for the future work of the gospel that God will do through us as a church, as as people, as families. And today we're going to continue to see how awesome, how awesome this King of Kings is that we worship and that we walk with in life, and that who loves us and knows us completely. Now, I use that word awesome, and meanings of words change over time. And awesome is one of those words that has undergone that change of meaning. We live in a time now where the word awesome can mean anything, it can mean the pizza that you're eating right? Oh, this is awesome. Uh, I've used, <laughs> I was preparing this. I have used the word awesome for things twice this morning. and I've caught myself like, wow, hey, we just say everything is awesome these days. And if everything is awesome, nothing is awesome. That's right. So let's go back to the what the word previously meant really up until just the last generation or two. The history of language is an amazing thing, but the word awesome, just think of the word awesome. Some. So it, the, here's the dictionary definition is something that inspires inspires an overwhelming reverence, admiration or fear. I mean, something is awesome. It fills you with awe. And our text today tells us that one thing should cause us to live in awe. And that is the greatness of Jesus Christ. Let's get into the text today. And as we do, our series is titled, Christ Greater Than All. God's Word teaches us today that following Christ requires this sense of awe of who He really is, that we know who He really is. That's how we are victorious in life. That's how we give Him the worship that He's due. Christ is greater than two things we're going to look at today. The first is, Christ is greater than all the majesty of creation, Oh, no big deal. He's just greater than everything. All of creation. All of creation. That's the first three verses. Now, our passage left off last week. If you want to look in your Bibles back a couple verses, just to refresh your memory. It left off with Paul saying, Give thanks to the Father. Constant thanks, constant praise because of all He has done. And here's where he left off. Because the Father has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness. Transferred us, finally, completely, to the kingdom of His Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been transferred into the kingdom of his Son. Now, he's going to talk about his Son, Jesus Christ. The first three verses that we start with, Colossians 1 15 through 17, proclaim the greatness of Jesus amazingly in three awesome ways. I'm going to just read those three verses again if you want to follow along in scripture. Just listen. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together let's get deeper into these words these verses proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ In three awesome ways. First, verse 15, Jesus is the image of God. Let's talk about what that means. The word image, what does that mean? Image is the likeness of something or a model of something. So what is Jesus the likeness or model or image of? We're talking Jesus, the man who walked on the earth, who was God. He is the likeness and model and image of God. And this is, a good, this is great news for us, because if you've ever wondered, what is God like? What is he really like? How does he feel about certain things? How would he respond in situations that we go through in our lives if he were in our shoes? How can we know him? All of those things are answered by looking at Jesus' life, by reading about Jesus. You don't have to guess, you don't have to wonder any of those things. You just look closely and watch the life of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, and he walked among us as one of us. So this is what the entire four gospel accounts are about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can read those. And we do not have time to preach through all four of those books today. That would take years and years, and it's amazing to look through those. But let me just tell you one story as one example from the gospel accounts today. This is from the gospel of John. One story that shows just one attribute of God, the attribute I've chosen is that God is compassionate. We know God is compassionate by watching Jesus. So here's the story. Jesus had befriended a particular family that lived in the town of Bethany. Three siblings, two sisters, one brother. Their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he had befriended them, and as he traveled around and did his ministry, anytime he passed through Bethany, he would spend the night at their house. They were very close, very good friends. Well, one day Jesus received word from the sisters, Mary and Martha, that their brother was very ill. And when Jesus heard that news, we read in John 11 that he told his disciples, this is happening so that God would be glorified. And he took his time to get there. And when he arrived, Lazarus had been dead already by four days in the grave. And he entered... And everyone is mourning and crying and screaming in sorrow at the loss of their brother, friend, relative. And he walks in among them and something awesome and revealing happens. And it's the shortest verse in the English Bible. And every kid who grows up in church is so proud of themselves for memorizing this verse. John 11:35. who can quote that verse? Jesus wept. You memorize a verse today. Jesus knows, now listen to this, Jesus knows that He is going to perform a miracle, that He's going to do something great, that He is going to turn their sadness into great rejoicing. He knows that that is going to happen. But He doesn't just rush in there and teach them a lesson about getting over it or something like that. What does He do? He goes and He just dwells in the pain, in the sorrow, and He weeps. he knows he's going to turn this situation around but in that moment he dwells compassionately with those who are experiencing loss with those who are experiencing mourning those who are hurting he just starts weeping with them and Jesus the image of the invisible God teaches us that God is compassionate and he's dwelling with us in all of the things that we go through. Is Jesus awesome or what? And that's just one of countless examples. So many other, every characteristic of God is is found in Jesus. His love, His justice, His righteous anger, His wisdom, His ethics that we should have as humans in our dealings in the world, the behaviors that we should have, how to resist temptation, how to work, how to relate to people, everything. We learn about the invisible God through Jesus. And Paul writes this so that we will be in awe of him. That's just the opening statement. We've got a long ways to go. The second part of this opening verse, verse 15, is that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, the English language is a little confusing here because it seems to mean that he was a created being, right? Doesn't that? That's that's just the English translation. Readers that day, and it's pretty common if you, if you study that, these terms, the firstborn ha- connotes the, um, the sense of authority. Like the firstborn son gets all the inheritance, That's, has all the authority. That's the meaning of this firstborn. The firstborn refers to first in rank, that he is over it all. all right, and Paul's going to use this twice in this passage. This is the first one. The point here is that he has authority. He has authority over all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. He has authority over it that no one else has. Okay, you or I could go out next time it snows. There's some snow in the forecast, right? We might not like that, right? So we walk outside when it's snowing and we could yell, hey, stop snowing. And what's going to happen? It's going to keep on snowing. We don't have that power. We don't have that authority. Jesus had that authority over the weather, didn't he? We haven't raised anybody from the dead after four days in the grave. Jesus has done that. He has authority over the creation that he created. So, the image, the fullness of the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, and then the next thing Paul talks about, he has authority over all creation, and that's what Paul talks about that next, that we are awed by, is that he is the creator of everything. Let's look at this, verse 16. Jesus is the creator of all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. Have you meditated on this before? All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He created everything. He created everything. Let's just imagine this right now and meditate on and marvel on what this verse means. Everything which is visible, Everything which is visible, he has created. Now, I think he had fun with this. He created a universe that's so massive and vast that the farther our science progresses, the more we see his power revealed. Let's consider what is visible through the most powerful telescopes. This is a picture from uh, the Hubble telescope, one of my favorite. And I put this on the church Facebook page this week. How many people saw that this week? Uh, If you haven't liked the church Facebook page, would you do that today? That's a good way for us to stay in touch with each other. Not right now. Put your phones away. Okay. Do that later. Uh, Don't forget, though. So here's the picture. Man, this is so cool. Down on the bottom, you see the lights of Chicago at night next to Lake Michigan. It's beautiful. Above that, though, a little bit farther in the backdrop is the Northern Lights over Canada and Alaska. And then in the backdrop of that, beyond that, is our galaxy, the Milky Way. God holds it all in his hand, and Jesus created it all. Let me just continue on this this line. In the Milky Way, our galaxy, there are 200 to 400 billion stars and 100 billion planets in our galaxy. How many galaxies are there? Over a hundred billion galaxies in the universe. Now he's just showing off. And it's true. Everything which is visible, he created. A sermon I heard last year put it in terms of golf balls, and I really like that, so I remember that sermon, right? Okay, so pretend that, imagine that the earth is this golf ball here. Can you find out where you live? Right there. That's where we are. Now, okay, so this is the Earth. This is a golf ball. Let me get these numbers right. Considering the Sun here, if the Earth was the size of a golf ball, the Sun would contain one million Earths, could fit in the size of the Sun. So here's a little picture that has the Earth right up next to the Sun. Now, that's just to show you the size comparison of Earth to the Sun. Now, the sun, obviously, is, is farther away than that. It's 93 million miles from Earth. Are you remembering science class here? 93 million. And you remember when you learn, hopefully you learned this, that if the Earth was just one degree closer to the sun, we'd all burn. Everything would burn up. And if it was one degree farther away from the sun, everything would freeze. And this just gets more majestic as you think about it. But it continues. Our sun is not even a very large star that over there. Don't trip on that. (laughs) All right. The sun is actually a very small star. So look at this chart. You can find this online and you can see it in a a movie or a slideshow. I, I got it all in one picture here. There's earth. Slide deck two. There's earth in comparison to Neptune all the way up to Jupiter. There's Jupiter all the way up to Sirius, there's serious. all the way up to, I can't even read this, Alder, Alderbaran, there's Alderbaran, all the way up to Betelgeuse. I know, we love that word, don't we? Let me just stop at Betelgeuse real quick. Betelgeuse, Betelgeist is how you actually say it, but you know, uh, 427 light years away from earth. Think of how massive the universe is. That's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles. That's how far away that is from the Earth. Okay. But Betelgeuse is small compared to the biggest stars, which end with the largest star discovered to date, and that's Canis Majoris. Now, I said last week that I'm not a, uh, a scholar in Latin, but I'm pretty sure that means the big dog. Canis Majoris. If the earth was a golf ball, I got rid of my golf ball too soon, and if it was next to Canis Majoris, the sides of it would be the height of Mount Everest. And you could fit seven quadrillion earths inside of it. Wow! This is amazing. And we just need to meditate on what Scripture says about who created this. We worship a God that spoke the universe into being. How, did Jesus, how was Jesus the creator? And here's how. Triune God, God the Father gave the decree. Jesus, the word of God, the word speaker, spoke it into creation. The Son of God. That is why the Christ that we worship and follow is worthy to be worshipped. And followed. I still remember the first time I grasped this years ago that Jesus, my Lord and Savior, the one who knows me so intimately, the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas time, the one whose resurrection we celebrate every Sunday. We meet on Sundays as his people because he was risen from the dead on Sunday. Jesus is not only all that, he's the creator of everything. But when we pray, what do we do? We doubt. We try to tell him how we think we should, he should answer our prayers? Or we just skip prayer altogether and try to do life on our own? Do we fear anything? This is the God who told us not to fear, but to cast all our anxieties on him. Oh, man. The Christ, Jesus, has demonstrated his power and his love for us over and over again. And brothers and sisters, my plea, my encouragement is to you to worship and follow Christ with awe. And you will do well. Verse 16 goes on to say, he created everything which is invisible. And I just want to, I don't want to get off the science lesson just quite yet. Because this is really neat. We want to drill down the things that are invisible. What could that be? That could be things only which are seen through a microscope, like bacteria. These things affect our lives. And they exist. Um, I had a picture of bacteria. Yeah, it's up there. There it is. Microscopic things that really affect our lives. He created all those as well. And even in molecular science, if we had time to look today, it all demonstrates the, God's mind-blowing power and creative creativity and his design and his order, you see the irreducible, irreducible complexity of all the little microscopic things that could not have evolved over time together. They work the way they work together. It, it all, all of creation screams the handiwork of God, the presence of God, and then he's proved his love for us over and over again. Everything which is invisible also includes all the spiritual realm. It says here, at the end of this verse, verse 16. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, these are categories of the angelic and demonic forces and organization, and all that exists as well in the spiritual realm. Those are working among us and affecting our lives. They are real, and Jesus created them also. All things were created through him. He is the source of all things. And then verse 16 says, All things were created for him. He is the purpose of all things. He is the goal of all things. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is not finished. This is plenty for us to meditate on for the rest of our lives. I think that's why heaven is eternity. But we are awed by Christ also because he is the sustainer of all things, which is what Paul says next, verse 17. And Verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in all things and in him all things hold together he sustains all things first because he is before all things he was there before them in time and he is there before them in importance and power so he is able to sustain all things now one more science uh, lesson here In in him all things hold together we're awed once again at what science has not determined yet and why things hold together listen to this Here's a picture of an atom. Everything is all material, substance, things you can touch, uh, is made up of atoms. Now, consider what scientists called nuclear glue. This is Jesus revealed. So, this is an atom. Atoms are made of a nucleus consisting of protons and neutrons and electrons moving around it. Now, this is the, from an educational website called schoolforchampions.com describing the nucleus of an atom. The nucleus consists of a number of, pay attention, positively charged protons and uncharged neutrons. They are approximately the same size and weight, positively charged protons, uncharged neutrons. What happens when you put opposing magnets together? They separate, right? That's what should happen on the atomic level. Since like charge this goes on, since like charges repel, there is some sort of nuclear glue that holds the nucleus together. Why doesn't the centrif- centrifugal force of those orbiting electrons cause atoms to fly apart? Usually there must be more neutrons than protons for a nucleus to be stable, but they're the same. Present theories state that there is an unknown subnuclear particle called gluon that holds the nucleus together. Science doesn't have an answer for this yet. Why everything doesn't just spin apart? It defies all natural science. What holds our universe together? All they can say is that it's an unknown particle, an unknown force. And that reminds us of Acts chapter 17 when Paul comes to Athens and he sees an idol with a sign on it, to the unknown God. And remember what he says? I want to introduce you to the unknown force, the unknown God. His name is Jesus Christ, and he created all of this. The nuclear glue that holds it all together shows us that he has not forgotten his creation. He holds us all together. He keeps it in balance, and he allows us to exist as he reveals his love for us. This is the God who is worthy of worship and awe and to follow. With your whole life. With your whole life. Nothing less. So that's first. Christ is greater than creation. I need to move on to the second thing Christ is greater than today. Christ is greater than something else that we awe over. Okay, we're going to make a transition here away from the creation. Something else that we awe over and admire more than God sometimes, and that's people. And following Christ requires awe that Christ is greater than people. He's greater than people. Verses 18-23 through 23 explain why Christ is greater than any of the people that you will ever look up to, that you will ever admire, that will ever manipulate you or have control over you. He's greater than them. He's greater than any other Human that you wish you were with, or any human that you wish you were, he's greater than all of them. So take all the admiration that you've ever given any other human beings, and give much greater to Jesus. And here's what Paul says in our next verses. He gives four reasons for this. The first that Jesus is the head of the church. He, uh, verse eighteen, I'll read, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything He might be preeminent. In everything. Okay, so this verse begins with a declared statement that Christ is the head of us, His body. He's the head, we're the body, the church. So we get along best, church family, as we come under His headship. None of us is the head of the church. Our own agendas, though we might be passionate about them, can't take over His headship, okay? We are unified under His headship. He is our head. He is The beginning, it says. That means He's the one that began the church. He's our head. He's our founder. He's the one we follow. And then this verse gives the proof. It says He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, earlier when Paul was emphasizing Christ is greater than creation, he says He's the firstborn of all creation. Here he says He's the firstborn from the dead. That's humans. He's the first, most important, most authoritative, human. And then this verse tells us The resulting honor that Christ deserves for all of this, that in everything, in everything, in everything, He might be preeminent, the most important thing in our lives. Christ is greater than all. And He deserves to be in first place in our hearts, in our lives. Nobody else deserves that. Okay? Not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend not your kids, not your favorite music group. It just blows you away. And I have to admit, I have been in awe of a lot of those things, and those things have tempted me to take over first place in my life. It's very common. Jesus deserves that first place, that preeminence in our lives. He's greater than all. All the people that we give that first place to sometimes but I have, I have been there, but I have also given Jesus the preeminence of my life. And I can tell you, all those other relationships, they're healthier and thrive under that. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That applies here, too. So the second reason we know that Christ is greater than all people, verse 19, Jesus is the fullness of God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, this is kind of a repeat of a point that we just talked about earlier. He's the image of the invisible God. Paul restates that Jesus has the full attributes of God. He's, he is the fullness of God. He repeats that here. In fact, he repeats that statement eight times in this letter. This is just the second. He wants us to get this. Jesus is awesome. The fullness of God. Remember this always. Jesus is a person that we can know and love, and he loves us all, and he is fully God. Paul continues, the third way that we know Christ is greater than all your other relationships, than all people in the world, is that Jesus is the maker of peace. He's the reconciler. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace comes through reconciliation. If you've ever had an argument with somebody or a fight with somebody or a feud with somebody, forgiving is being reconciled to each other it can be a long hard process and we'll talk about forgiveness often because scripture does but it's it only really truly comes through Jesus and here's the neat thing too reconciliation is the gospel the good news that we can be reconciled to God and to each other every time we forgive we are preaching the gospel essentially And we really try to to use this in our own family discipleship. We have a script in our household, and our kids know it very well. Anytime somebody offends or hurts somebody else, this is how we restore that relationship and how it preaches the gospel. All right, what'd you do? What happened? Okay, I understand, but you need to say you're sorry to your sister. Say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Okay, now you say, yes, I will forgive you. Now, give your sister a hug. And they do. We tell them we've just modeled the gospel. The gospel is a reconciled relationship. We have offended God with our sins, and we are completely far from a holy God. We can't be with Him or know Him or please Him or serve Him at all. But in Christ, through His shed blood on the cross, we receive the most giant hug that there is, a reconciled relationship with God. That's what that is. We're totally reconciled. He, through Jesus, that's him. He does that. And I pray often when I put the littlest kids to bed. I just pray, I prayed this prayer God, I pray that you will show her that that you love her and wrap your arms around her and help her sleep well tonight. And guess what? Adults need that too. And we have that from our great God. Meditate on that. The next time you're lonely or isolated or upset. That's the kind of God that we have that loves us, that we can love back. Through Christ, He's greater than all our sins. He wipes them all out. He forgives us. He reconciles us. That's what He does. He's got all the power to do that. Paul concludes this passage in Colossians and leading the Colossians into a deep reflection now in the last few verses a reflection of the extraordinary blessings that we have as believers in Christ. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin yet, and I don't care if you've grown up in the church, you have to repent of your own sin and self-sufficiency and call on Him for your salvation. And I pray that you'd do that today if you haven't yet. But if you have, here's what we can enjoy. Verses 21-23, through 23, Jesus is the only Savior. This is why He's greater. Than all people. So listen to this beautiful and awesome, on a personal level now, final text in our passage today, verses 21 through 23. Paul leaves the majesty of God and his preeminence over people and says this And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds and really lost in that, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Hmm. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul has been building up to this moment, all the exaltation of Christ, to deliver this very warm, personal conclusion. It's very, he's very excited for what Christ has done for the Colossians and for himself. So he says, think about your lives before and after. Before and after. Before Christ, you were alienated from God and hostile to him and lost and doing evil deeds as a result. But now Christ is working in you to present you holy and blameless to God in the new life that He's given you. Jesus alone does that. He alone is awesome. And we get to enjoy Him and serve Him forever as ministers like Paul. That just means servants of Christ. So here are my next steps for today. I want to encourage everybody to take two steps. First, examine the authenticity of my faith and walk with Christ. That just means how real it is. Seriously, how real is your faith in this Christ that we've just been talking about? Is it really, really real? How about your walk with Him? Does the whole world, everybody in your life know that you follow Christ? He's worthy of that. And so I just want to ask you to examine that. How real is this really in my life? Here's another way to, to, to examine that in your life. What awes you? What, what awes you? Creation, the stars, is that awe you? Uh, other people that we idolize, does that awe you more than Jesus? So all of these need to be replaced with the Lord who made it all and who loves us and forgives us and walks with us and calls us to serve and glorify him and make his glory known. So examine your hearts today, trust him, and if your faith is really real, then grow your walk with him now, and next step number two says how. That is, make Colossians one twenty three characterize my life. You might memorize this verse this week, put it on your board, talk about it in your, in your home, in your Bible study group, your accountability partner, your spouse, between your parents and kids, sisters with each other. Colossians 1.23, this is how we respond. Right here, Paul gives it to us. If indeed you continue in the faith, be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that's contained in the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, and I and you have become ministers once we're entrusted with that gospel not shifting. The world has many, many very enticing distractions that constantly and sophisticatingly draw our attention away from Christ. It's on us to have the resolve to keep our eyes fixed on Him, to walk with Him, to love Him, to worship Him, and follow Him, and follow those who are following Him. Will you pray a prayer with me? of confession if you need to confess anything that's keeping you away from that response to Jesus and dedication with me that now pedal to the metal for Jesus here we go on with our lives as Tristan and the, and the band the worship team closes our service today uh, you can sing this perfect final closing song for this pray in your hearts and I also want to invite you to come up Sarah and I my wife are going to be up here in this corner after the service We're not always going to be here up every weekend. I'd like to be out meeting people. But today, if you want to pray a prayer of confession or trust in Jesus, today could be the day of your salvation. We'll talk about getting baptized. We'll just talk about recommitting your life to Christ. Come on up and pray with us if you'd like to. If it's a big group, we'll just all pray in a group or one-on-one. You're welcome to come up after that. Let me close this in a word of prayer now. Lord, I've been actually honestly eager to get to this passage today just, just to meditate on it this week, and it's been wonderful. And, and now to meditate on it with my church family uh, and really stand in awe and, and, uh, and worship you together as the church that you've called us out of the world to be to, to do these things. It's just amazing, and I just want to say thank you and express our gratitude towards you. And now I pray that we will be bold and strong and steadfast, always growing in our faith from here today. We give you our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen.